This is Melungeon Voices, presented by the Melungeon Heritage Association. My name is Liz Malone, and I am here with the president of the association, Heather Andalina. Heather, great to be with you once again. As always, great to be with you too, Liz. So for this week's episode, you had a very interesting dialogue with Bill Gibson. Can you share some information with the listeners about who Bill is? I sure can. Bill Gibson is a retired dentist who attended Augustana College located in Rock Island, Illinois. But Bill never graduated, going instead straight on to his dental training, making him one of the few doctors that do not hold a bachelor's degree. He is also the author of Country Kids, A Rich Full Life, available on Amazon, which is a collection of over 200 stories from his wild youth as a baby boomer out in the country. In my discussion with Bill, he shares with me his extensive knowledge of the Gibsons and Collins families and provides interesting accounts of his family's travels into the Appalachian Mountains and beyond. Now, if I'm not mistaken, Heather, you have some Gibson and some Collins in your ancestry, correct? I sure do, Liz. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing from your extended cousin, Bill Gibson. Hi, Bill. Hello, Heather. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. So my first question for you is I would like to know what got you interested in your family ancestry? Yeah, I have a whole story about that. Uh, I have a twin brother, and he took an airplane ride up into Montana, and he started searching out my father's roots. And... Then, by way of a 92-year-old banker up there, they mentioned to him about where the family came from because that um, they knew about the later family. So, but uh, and that directed him back to Johnson City, Texas. So he dialed Johnson City, Texas, and he asked, uh, "Hey, you got any Gibsons down there?" And they said, "Hey, we got a whole lot of them. Who do you want?" He said, "I don't know. Just connect me to anybody." And kind of like a, a novel. <laughs> He got connected to the right guy on the first call. This was a, uh, what do you call it, a telephone booth where you stick the money in, you know. This is a long time ago. Anyway, so uh, Jules Gibson answered the phone, and he was the best genealogist down in Texas where the people came from before they went to Montana. And uh, Jules Gibson sent us all kinds of information about where our family came from and everything that goes about on about it, and that got us started. So after that, we just kept picking away at it and took all of his information, and we've been adding information to it ever since. So mostly, I don't do research myself. A little bit we do, but mostly I research the research, and uh, that's pretty much where all of our information comes from. So how or when did you learn about your Melungeon ancestry? Uh, that came from Jules. He uh, he knew about the Melungeon ancestry. Uh, he's now passed away. He's uh, He's gone. But uh, Johnson City, Texas is where uh, President Johnson came from. So it's just a very small town in Texas by Dripping Springs. But uh, he had most of that all down there. So most of it was there. And uh, we did make another contact with another lady, uh, Marion Shirley Porter. And uh, she had hired a professional genealogist 
to research her family, which is the same connection to our family. It goes back to Archibald Gibson, our oldest of the old that we absolutely know about for sure. Uh, born in 1760, died in 1855. And we tracked his life all the way through to all the places they lived during that his lifetime. So uh, mostly it was a following of Archibald Gibson and his wife uh, Bathsheba, or Vasti, as she was called. But uh, <laughs> that uh, pretty much is the following of the Gibson part. And we've researched from before him and going back to uh, the earliest Gibsons we know of since then. Uh, this Jules fellow was interesting. He was not raised by his father. His father ran off when he was fairly young. So he was raised by his grandfather. And his grandfather loved to tell stories. His grandfather was a wealth of information going back more generations than he should have known. And that's how Jewel knew so far back. And uh, it's uh, an odd connection, but it's how it happened and how we got lucky. How far back were you able to go with your ancestry? Do you have a year? Archibald uh, was born in 1760 in Pennsylvania. And uh, that much we know from family history and family, family knowledge. But uh, I've made some recent discoveries that are pretty jolting, that are pretty cool back beyond all of that. Mostly the people that know about the uh, Gibson and Collins history goes back to um, you know, like Thomas Gibson and uh, the early Collinses, and that's around uh, 1738. However, there's been a piece of thing come out on the internet recently that uh, is really cool, and they have a uh, law case that they discovered that was from some Indians, and uh, happens to be a lady named Jane Gibson, and uh, she's called Jane Gibson the Elder, and uh, she had a daughter who was also a Jane, so they call her Jane Gibson the Younger. But anyway, her uh, children uh, of Jane the uh, Younger were loaned out for an indentured servant thing. And this is all in court case, so it's all documented. It's all pretty close. They had an 80-year-old fellow that remembered the uh, Jane the Elder, and uh, her brother was a George Gibson. And then her daughter, of course, was Jane. And then Jane the Younger gave birth to and had a George Gibson. And then later she married some Evanses. So it's tied in with both Gibson and Evanses, but it goes back two generations farther than we ever knew. Jane Gibson the Elder was born in 1640, believe it or not. Jamestown was in 1607, as you know. So we're talking not that many years after our very first uh, community was ever established. So, and then uh, she died in 1722. Her daughter, Jane Gibson the Younger, was born in the, at, uh, 1660, 20 years later. And uh, she lived until 1738. So if you uh, remember some of your other history, the 1738 is about the time that uh, Thomas Gibson uh, was establishing a uh, residency on the uh, Turkey Creek. We've done some research on that. 
So, Bill, have you actually been to any of the sites where the Gibsons have lived over the centuries? Yes, actually, we visited all of them but one, and they always lived on a creek. So we've uh, traveled to the creeks that they lived on. Sometimes we didn't get to the actual home site, but most of these creeks are short. They're only like a mile long or something. And they tend to be very, very small creeks. It appears that they like to be in the upper water before anybody else can contaminate the water. So uh, there's a turkey creek that feeds into the South Anna River. Now, South Anna River uh, is by Richmond, Virginia. It actually flows out of the, uh, not the James River that Jamestown was on, but the one just north of that, which is the York River. Then York River splits, and it splits into the Pomunkey River and the uh, Mattapony River. But the uh, one that's the Pomunkey River splits again into North and South Anna River. And this uh, Turkey Creek flows into the uh, South Anna River. And we've been there uh, right after one of our Melungeon meetings out in Virginia. They have now Google Maps, and you can Google it, and there's a little town right on the interstate that's called Oilville. And you take a north out of Oilville, and I've got all the maps on this, and it would make better for a video thing to show maps. But anyway, it's very close to Oilville, just due north. And uh, it's a very small little creek, and I uh, actually took my fishing pole and went fishing in the South Anna River, which isn't much of a river, by the way. It's uh Oh, 30 feet wide, give or take. It's like a monster big creek, but uh, not so big. The one that we missed, they moved from there, and they went down to the Flat River in North Carolina. And the North Carolina River, they had two of them, the uh, Rocky Creek and Deep Creek. And then Gibson's lived on the Rocky Creek, which we have not been to. It's a very long creek, unlike the usual other creeks. And... Uh, Collins has lived on Deep Creek, which was like two creeks away. There's one creek in between the two creeks. But anyway, that spot we haven't been to. But uh, that's when they got into the Battle of Alamance. And it had to do with uh, terrible uh, raising of rents and lots of uh, nasties in the political arena. So then they uh, had a war down there. And they killed a few people, six people or something. And because of all of that unrest is when they moved from there. And kind of picked up in mass, all the Gibsons, all the Collinses, all the Goins, because they always moved in a mass. And then they moved to the New River. And uh, that's on Obids Creek and Cranberry Creek, which are, uh, I think they call it the South Branch, even though it's to the east. Uh, these things are a north-flowing river, and there's two big branches to it. And they're on the uh, eastward branch, if you look at the map, on the map. And uh, But anyway, they call it South why i don't know but uh anyway the uh obids creek is a tiny little creek it's maybe 15 feet wide and it was really rolling along when we saw it and uh we have a video of that one as well and um, then after that they moved our people did not go to newman's ridge oddly enough cumberland gap was not opened up wider to accept uh wagon traffic until 1795 and uh, before that it was just a horse trail so the very first people that went down it went down a horse trail but the mass exited happened after uh widening of the uh, trail 
the uh, Boone did not widen the trail. He found the trail, but they hired somebody else to widen it. Probably made him angry. But anyway, uh, our Gibsons left the New River, uh, bypassing Newman's Ridge, and went directly to uh, Kentucky. There's a town down there called Hazard, Kentucky, and I only say that for reference point. It's very southeast Kentucky. And the hills down there, and we visited, uh, then they lived on a creek. And I think this is from Jules, that they lived on Mallet, M-A-L-L-E-T, Mallet Creek. And uh, lo and behold, uh, even though I had it jotted down in the corner of a a map that I had, uh, like one of these uh, travel maps where all the maps are in the same book, all the states, but anyway, we went down there and we Googled it. And sure enough, we found Mallet Creek and we drove right to it. It's right beside Branham's Creek, which is another name that the Gibsons were related to, going clear back to um, the earliest of our known Gibsons, meaning the Thomas Gibson, and where they lived uh, up by Richmond. But anyway, uh, we found that little creek, little gravel bottom, been raining for three or four days, still crystal clear, flowing nice. You could jump across it. It's so narrow. Only it goes back about half a mile or better. So anyway, uh, that's where they lived. And oddly enough, our people, according to the genealogist that uh, did a lot of this research, uh, were down there in 1793 which is prior to the widening. They had to come in on horseback. They didn't come back on wagons. So they went moved down there very, very early, bypassing Newman's Ridge. And why they did it now exactly. But all the names are there. Uh, they've got the you know, Mullins that are there and uh, Collins that are there and all these different creeks that they lived on right close there. Ezekiel, brother to Archibald, lived on the next creek up. Uh, Archibald lives on Carr Creek. And that's where Mallet flows into Carr Creek. It's a littler creek that flows into a bigger creek. Just uh, north of there is where Ezekiel lived on the, on a uh, Caney Creek. So, but and they're just a few miles apart. They're not very far. And uh, we were down there and took uh, pictures. Uh, there's a Gibson Cemetery, and all of the names of all the Gibsons are in the cemetery for Ezekiel. And we got lucky and uh, made a DNA connection with a Rhett Gibson who lives right down there in a little town called Kite. And Kite is just a few miles away from any of these spots. And uh, he is related to Ezekiel Gibson, and he knows his descendancy right down through Leonard and who begot, who begot, until he became um, Rhett. So uh, anyway, uh, we have kind of followed the family from creek to creek and from homestead to homestead. Our Archibald that uh, lived on Mallet Creek stayed there until um, 1828. His son, John, had moved to uh, up near Indianapolis. It's called Jamestown, and it's 27 miles to the northwest west of Indianapolis. And uh, it's a very small town. It's only got 1,000, 2,000 people in it today. And uh, Archibald is buried there in the Lowry Pioneer Cemetery. He lived there from um, 1828 until 1855 when he and his wife both died at roughly age 95 apiece, which is quite amazing. And uh, we did a little research of our own and found a wonderful, wonderful write-up in one of the libraries up there. And it's uh, 
G.W. Gibson, which happens to be the grandson of Archibald Gibson, and he writes about that trip from leaving from uh, Kentucky all the way up to uh, uh, Jamestown, Indiana. And he was four years old, but he remembered the uh, trip entirely, including uh, getting sick and making a mess out of himself, to put it politely. And uh, his his mother, being a good mother, washed up all of his clothes, which were leather, put them beside the fire one night to dry them out for morning because they needed some cleaning up. And somehow the uh, stick that was holding them fell over into the fire and it burned up all of his clothes. So he had to go the rest of the way in his long johns. So anyway, um, it's a traumatic uh, thing for a four-year-old to not have the clothes left anymore. They didn't have multiple sets of clothes. His dad was a tanner of all things and made uh, made leather, made clothes, made things. And uh, this is a fairly long story that people can look up, the GW story. It's in the uh, life and times of uh, Boone County. Uh, Early life and times of Boone County is the name of the uh, book that it's in. Anyway, it's very detailed, very all about that trip, and it's quite amazing. So uh, it's very good background documentation about uh, Archibald and the move and what life was like and what the country was like and the big snakes they dealt with and all the wild pigs and all of the and the Indian battles. Uh, that was right at the cusp of uh, the Black Hawk War, which ended in um, 1832. And all of the people were quite afraid of uh, Black Hawk swooping in and killing people. So there's lots of nervousness about Indians. And it's really quite a history piece. So uh, one of the sons of Archibald moved from this uh, Jamestown, uh, Indiana, to Texas. And uh, a little town called Gonzales, Texas. And Gonzales, Texas, at this point, was uh, having lots of Indian battles. And uh, two of the sons, one named Archibald Jr., and uh, the other one was uh, James. James happens to be my great-great-grandfather. And uh, he ran a ferry across the river right there. But anyway, they were both in Indian battles. James was shot in the shoulder. It was called the Battle of Plum Creek. It was a running battle where it uh, didn't stay in one place. It just kept moving as the battle went on. And but, uh, it was probably the last big Indian battle that was there. The uh, other brother was uh, Archibald Jr. was an actual terrible wild man, and he would fight the Mexicans. But they would use him to what was called sting the cannon. He would ride his horse into a cannon firing at him. And uh, you would take a file, like a garden file, and they have a tang on the end, and it's a very brittle piece of metal. You ram the little tang into the hole that you uh, set the cannon off with and give it a quick twist and break it off in there so the cannon is rendered useless. But anyway, he got shot in the eye and blinded, and he has all kinds of harrowing stories. But anyway, I've got 16 more stories about him. He's just crazy, man. From there, they moved to Montana, and from there, they moved out to California, and my dad was actually from California mostly, but he was born in Montana. So that kind of gives you the whole family trip going out that direction. So more detail can be done when we do a real conference. Yes. 
And of course, Bill, as you well know, you and I share a common ancestor because my great-great-grandfather was Jesse Gibson. So we have Gibsons in common. So I just love hearing your stories and because we share that common surname in Gibson. But I do want to, speaking of next year's union, what are you going to be presenting at next year's meeting? There's several different folds of it. Uh, we made a trip to uh, Ireland. And we were at all the places that the Gibsons started out in Ulster, and uh, it's up by Londonderry. It's very northern Ireland. And uh, they have a um, historical center of people there. They gave speeches about it, and they showed where the Gibsons came from and the McGowans. He was called McGowans at that time. And uh, Collinses didn't show up, but Cole showed up and um, other family members. Coles were there, as in married into uh, Archibald. Uh, Bathsheba Cole married him. And uh, and his uh, her father was Levin Cole, which is also in our history books. So, but anyway, uh, that was, that's a whole video of itself. That's 22 minutes long, I believe. Then we have the video that you shot where uh, all the Gibsons and where they moved and uh, when they moved and why they moved. And that's also about 20, 25 minutes long. And then uh, if you wanted this rundown, I am intending and haven't done it quite yet, but the talk we had today about where the Gibsons moved and when they moved. And I have all the maps and all the pictures of all the people, including gravestones of Thomas Gibson, uh, alias Mingo uh, Jackson. Uh, by the way, Mingo was a uh, tribe of Indians, and it became used, universally used to mean Indian. So Mingo Jackson, I believe, really just means Indian Joe. So that was his nickname, Indian Joe. Uh, but they called it Mingo Jackson. That was their vernacular of the time. So, uh, But anyway, those three things are possible, but I haven't shot the last video to show all these maps because they're just intensely interesting. And um, I've got maps of each of these places where they live. But anyway, uh, you can do with that as you will. I don't quite know the length of it yet because I haven't quite done it yet, but I've got all the papers laid in front of me right now. And they're all, um, it will be video style. Well, Bill, I am very looking forward to your presentation at next year's union. I do have one more question. When you mentioned that you have been to Ireland, uh, I too have been to Ireland and to Londonderry. How far back in Ireland were you able to trace the Gibson family? It doesn't actually go by a date. Uh, some of those things get fuzzy. Uh, and they have areas like farms that they lived on and they had where the Gibsons lived. It's kind of like south left, south uh, west of Londonderry. And uh, so they have very detailed maps of where these farms were and where the people were. The first migration out of Ulster, this Londonderry area, uh, was in 1717, and there was five migrations. Our people were already here in the uh, 1728, 1734, living on that Turkey Creek I was talking about, which you know, migration, they came out, it had to be in the 1770 or right, 1717. Um, and there was 1722, 1725, the migrations. But uh, a lot of them came into Boston. I think our people came in during that side, but the conflict with that is that this uh, 
Jane Gibson was here way before that, and uh, she was married to uh, uh, George, so maybe they came earlier. And how did they get here? It's an unknown. So there's a lots of pieces to the puzzle. I think it's like a jigsaw puzzle, and I think it's like a cake. Sometimes you have to keep putting in pieces and taking out pieces. <laughs> and the recipe changes, but the cake is still good. Yeah, I took a, a little survey at one of the meetings we were at, and I had everybody raise their hand and said, who in here claims to be Scotch-Irish? Uh, I'd say at least 80% of the audience raised their hand and said, we're Scotch-Irish. We've always been told we're Scotch-Irish. So that's got to tie into this somehow between the Indian part. By the way, I know the types of Indians that uh, the uh, Jane was, and it ends up being the same group of Indians that had Pocahontas in it. The same group of Indians that um, Roanoke Island uh, scratched on a tree, the Croatan, which were, um, uh, they were uh, Paul Monkey Indians and the uh, Chickahominy Indians, which don't exist anymore, by the way. They used to have a bunch of tribes and they're pretty much all gone now. But anyway, uh, so there's some of that mixing of the unknown in there. So you have to just... Uh, go along and find the unknown sometimes it's a smell that you have to follow so uh which i have a whole story about that anyway a hunter friend of mine shot a deer and couldn't find it so he finds this uh there's this uh possum underground he decides to watch this possum possum followed this dent and found this deer buried in the brush and back there he couldn't find it but the possum found it so sometimes you have to follow the smell. So anyway, there's a little funny story for you. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Bill. This has been a wonderful interview. And I personally very much cannot wait for your presentation next year. Um, and, and what else you will discover? Because you do continue to discover a new research in the ancestry. Like you said, you just follow the scent. And with Jane the Elder, we could discover why she was there before and at least tie up some loose ends on that part. Uh, I have um, one other piece that's brand new that maybe you'd like to know about. In the research of cleaning out my basement that was flooded a while back, I found that paper from the uh, genealogist and it claims to know where the Portuguese came from and who he was. And that, I think, is kind of shaking to everybody because they always claim to be Portuguese. And uh, his name was Denham, D-E-N-H-A-M. And uh, it's in a thesis that was written, a doctoral thesis. And um, they have all their ibids and opsits and all their, uh, you know, they got to document everything they say. But anyway, uh, he was uh, one of the very early people, and he married a Collins. It's actually listed in his paper, pages uh, 46 to 48, and uh, from the Kentucky Library, University of Kentucky. But anyway, if they, uh, they've been talking about Portuguese, 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 and uh, there he is, Denham. And he's, uh, his name shows up in the early uh, people with Thomas and what have you. So uh, there's your Portuguese connection. I think that's a hot big ticket. I found that one. I'm proud of that one. All right. Well, once again, thank you, Bill Gibson, for uh, taking the time to give this wonderful interview and share with us your research on the Gibson family. And we are looking forward to your presentation at next year's union. 
I would love it. It'll be uh, with lots of pictures and lots of uh, maps, and uh, it'll be a lot of fun. Yes, it will. You've been listening to the Melungeon Voices podcast. On behalf of myself, Heather Andalina, and the entire MHA Executive Committee, we'd like to thank all of those who participated in making this episode possible. For more information, you can visit them on the web at melungeon.org. That's M-E-L-U-N-G-E-O-N dot O-R-G. The information, views, and opinions expressed in this podcast episode do not necessarily represent those of the MHA. Melungeon Voices is presented by the Melungeon Heritage Association. All rights are reserved.